In order to rally people, governments need enemies. They want us to be afraid, to hate, so we will rally behind them. And if they do not have a real enemy, they will invent one in order to mobilize us. Welcome to Keith Knight. Don't tread on anyone in the Libertarian Institute. Today, I am joined by Clint of Liberty Lockdown. Clint, where is the best place for people to find your excellent podcast? Uh, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube. Uh, just search Liberty Lockdown and you will find me. Links will be in the description below. So Clint, the other day I was catching up on some Hans Hoppe PFS speeches and he has a great opener where he says, there's a major contradiction. 99% of intellectuals say the state is a necessary institution. Also, monopolies are evil and we need governments to regulate these. Also, the state should monopolize money, and they should monopolize taxation, and they should monopolize legislation, and they should monopolize the courts. How can you believe something so blatantly contradictory? So, Clint, my opening question to you is how do we get people to want to see through such blatant propaganda? Well, I thought about this a lot, and I think ultimately it requires that people actually know that they're being propagandized first and foremost, because this is kind of the, the red pilling discussion that we all have all the time, is that unless you are aware you're being propagandized, you can't want to see through it. It's, it's kind of, I think for me, I, I started to see through it when I realized contradictions and I realized hypocrisy. I realized that government is a monopoly and these people that claim to be fighting monopolies can't possibly think government is the solution when you're just replacing one monopoly with another. So, um, I think at its root, you have, to, you have to allow people to wake up or you have to find a way to wake them up faster than they already are. Um, fortunately, I think that the lockdowns have, have done that for a tremendous amount of people. I think that the V rollouts have done that for a, a ton of people. Um, so I'm hopeful, I'm, despite the fact that I come off extremely blackpilled online, I'm pretty hopeful that, uh, that we're headed in the right direction. Excellent. So I came across this article, which was just such a slap in the face as far as propaganda goes, because usually it's very subtle. And in paragraph nine out of 17, you'll find a line that's like, that's a dog whistle for people in power to use a crisis as a justification to drastically increase power. That's not what we're dealing with today at all. This is from foreignpolicy.com. It says, the pandemic proves only technocrats can save us. This is by Parag Khanna. This is a guy who wrote a book called uh, American Technocracy, The Rise of the Information State. So let's just go with, let's just start with the title. The pandemic proves only technocrats can save us. What are your thoughts on that line? Well, <laughs> I mean, after the past 18 months, to think that technocrats are the people that can save us is astonishing. I mean, we have been ruled by the technocratic elite, and we have allowed them to dictate everything we've done, basically. They've shut down our businesses and masked our children and made us put things in our body. And I mean, everything we've done has been te techno technocracy. So it's like, I, it's, it's astonishing that these people, after that, after, I mean, it, do they view it as a success? Do they view the vaccine rollout as a success? Do they view the lockdowns as a success? I guess they do. The only answer is yes, they have to, because otherwise uh, his entire thesis is null. 
the problem is, is that uh, we're so busy arguing over what the numbers are or aren't, what they should or shouldn't be, what they would or would otherwise be. Meanwhile, we're totally giving them the field of, yeah, you have the right to rule us. Now let's argue about uh, how we're going to implement this. If you don't have this self-ownership recognition in the back of your mind at all times, no wonder you're so easily to uh, get enslaved. Bill Gates was just on... I think it was CNN, uh, where he had said, you know, we're going to have to, uh, you know, maybe uh, increase lockdowns. Uh, we we want to look at countries like Australia. Of all the countries he could have chosen, he chooses Australia, where there is just such blatant, in-your-face, Orwellian tyranny. You know, places like New Zealand, they get one case and the, uh, the, the entire thing locks down. Do you have any ideas on how to combat the mindset of, I listen to the experts, therefore I'm superior to those who uh, listen to Liberty Lockdown. Right. Well, I would encourage people to, to measure my accuracy versus Fauci's. I like go through my catalog of episodes as I'm analyzing in real time what's occurring with the pandemic versus Fauci's recommendations. And if you, if you conclude that he is more accurate than me, then stick with him. But I promise you, you won't. I mean, this is, this is why I, I am so opposed. I mean, this is, it's hilarious, too, because this is basically exactly what conspiracy theorists have been saying all along, is that there's this, there's this technocratic elite, and they want to rule over us, and um, they conspire to do so. And it's just, they come out with this article and just like, yep, that's exactly what we're doing. And also, it's a good thing. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's heartbreaking, man. <laughs> okay, I, I get we can't go through every single word of this because we'll be here forever. But after the heading, there's the subheading, populist politician. Okay, first of all, populist <laughs> politicians. See, democracy is vitally important. We need the people to be involved in voting. Uh, but whenever uh, it's a democratic politician they don't like, well, that's dumb populism. That's like student council. It's just you being popular. There's no principles behind it. They have this, they have two different words for the same exact thing. Democracy, good. Populism, bad. Okay. Populist politicians love to belittle experts, but when it's a matter of life and death, the precautionary principle and expertise are what counts. Thoughts on that sentence? I mean, yeah, obviously when, when situations dire, it's, it's important to get correct information. The problem is, is that information is like true information is best acquired through diversified exploration where you're allowing, you know, numerous individuals, in, in fact, you know, the entire population potentially to be doing their own research, to be, to be trying things as opposed to this top-down approach where you have a novel virus that you're trying to evaluate in the moment and you have someone just coming out and saying, this is what we have to do, and we have to do it on a global scale. I mean, it's, it's completely counter to what science has been my entire life. So, uh, yeah, at its, at its core, it's flawed. At the end of paragraph one, he says, among the public and experts, debates have swirled around who made the most accurate guesses about the number of COVID-19 casualties or its impact on the stock market. And then the sentence ends right there. So in other words, he's saying there's a debate going on. It's about the numbers and the impact on the stock market. Don't you love how they take the principle of whether or not human beings are free to voluntarily associate? And he goes, 
no, 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 that's that's not the debate. The debate, the debate is the number of uh, the, on the the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Well, how do you accurately calculate that when we're on QE fifty seven of this year alone? So uh, he totally uh, fakes you out on what the actual debate is around with it, regard. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. No, and and in truth, what is the stock market? But basically a signifier of economics, which are economic wealth, but the economic wealth, the reason we value that is because we want to decrease human suffering. I mean, that's ultimately like the reason we want to acquire wealth is so that we can prosper and purchase things to benefit our lives and to live healthier and happier lives. So it completely misses the point. It goes to this dollars and cents answer when ultimately this, is, this should be evaluated pretty much exclusively on human suffering because you're dealing with a pandemic and you're dealing with lockdowns and, and what has it done to people's psyche and everything else. Anyways, I can go on forever. So we can keep going. The vitally important point. Thank you for uh, pointing that out. Sure. When it comes to uh, the debate among, let's just narrowly focus on uh, COVID-19 casualties and the stock, well, we answered the stock market economic effects. What do you say to people when they say, for heaven's sakes, the casualties are so high, sometimes you have to crack a few eggs to make an omelet. The egg cracking is the lockdowns. The omelet is the future of civilization. How do you respond to that mindset of, I don't care about it. I just want the low numbers. Well, I, I, I deal with it in a few different ways. I mean, it depends on the person that you're, who, who's your opposition here. Um, if they are hard graphs and charts people, then obviously I'll point out how much better other nations, other states have done without the harsh dictates, the harsh lockdowns, mass mandates, things of that nature. Um, if it's someone I think I can reach on a moral, philosophical, principled level, I will counter it with human liberty. And do you believe in freedom? Do you actually think that individuals have rights that supersede the collective? I mean, do you, do you believe that? Because if you don't, well, then I'm not sure we have much more to discuss, to be honest, but I, I will certainly try and shame them into acknowledging the fact that you are dismissing individual rights in this moment. And, and then my last resort is, is trying to explain that the, the ultimate toll that it's taking on human psychology and the fact that you know, we may end up losing more lives because of what we're, the, the scope of the government that we're allowing to now exist globally and like, is that trade-off, is that risk worthwhile? You know, so you can hit them on a thousand angles, honestly. I love what you said about uh, potentially shaming them if they're not listening to reason. Because I love giving people both. I love mm -hmm. saying, here's the reason. And then when the vast majority of them more or less spit in my face at, uh, in, uh, in response, you can always use what uh, Ayn Rand called the argument from intimidation, any attempt to show disapproval. Okay, so you think some people own the bodies of others that people right. don't get to choose what they do. You are much more focused on numbers. So in 1860, your argument would have been, uh, let's run the GDP numbers on what unslaved individuals will do. Um, let's look at all welfare recipients and see if they'd be more uh, productive if they were enslaved. So you don't have any principles. You're just an animal going off instinct. I, I appreciate you letting me know that. <laughs> that might do, that might actually do, more. it might not change their mind but it might get them to shut up and not make that next cringe TikTok video that guilts <laughs> exactly. other people into conforming. <laughs> no, you're exactly right. I mean, that, that's kind of like my last line of defense. I'm just like, 
I think what you're doing is monstrous. So if I've given you rational explanations and logical counters and all sorts of you know statistical examples as to why you're wrong and you're still not hearing me, I'll just make you feel bad. <laughs> I mean, I'm not above that. Exactly. Have you taken the COVID charts test by Tom Woods? I think I did it a long, like months ago. Did it, it, it's been out for a while, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's okay. been out for a while. Yeah. It's so good because <clears throat> you no longer need the, well, you guys care about lives. We care about some other factors. It's like, even if I grant you mask mandates and lockdowns, there's no correlation between lockdowns, mask mandates and lower numbers. And the best indicator is states within America or uh, e even in Asia, of course, they erroneously compare Asia to America. But even if you look at the same places, you know, Cambodia, Japan, China, regardless of their response to it, they had more or less the same results in the same area. So you can look at the line and you have to guess which place had the mandate, which one is Alabama and which one is, uh, you know, M Mississippi or something where they had different approaches to this. It's, uh, it's not even the, the case that, well, you, you have to give the state a little more power so you can get all these better results. You don't even get the better results. Which, is, which is so often the case. I mean, this is exactly the libertarian argument against central planning is that even when it sounds like a good idea, it doesn't pay off. I mean, it's, it almost never gets you the results you expect. And I would argue it never does. So yeah, I mean, but Tom, Tom did a killer job of actually making that visually explicit. You'd think that the expert class, the very smart people of the world would have a little more humility after a 20 year war in Afghanistan led to the Taliban taking over in 11 days, the entire country. I mean, it, like, it, it became pretty easy to dismiss Iraq as you know, a quagmire or a blunder. Of, of course, they still couldn't call it evil when you know, you're killing civilians, but at least they got Iraq. With Afghanistan, everyone was on board. I think there was like one congresswoman who voted against it and was the expert class like, wow, maybe just because we're experts. I mean, who in 2001 said this is going to be a 20-year uh, unwinnable war and it's going to kill a bunch of people and the Taliban's going to be just as strong as ever before? Well, they'll have more popular support because now they've taken down the U.S. government, the empire. So now they're probably more popular amongst the people than ever. The expert oh, yeah. class never apologizes, even when they're blatantly wrong. Well, they, and they don't even, they refuse to even reflect on it. It's astonishing. And then once we finally get out, then they point the finger at all the, the moral failings of our withdrawal. And then they say, oh, what, what about the women and children that are going to be forced to be masked? It's like, well, first off, you're masking our own women and children at home. So like, get off the moral high horse. You don't have any moral high ground to talk to people like this anymore. And I think that that's the biggest change that I, I actually noticed as I reflected on it. I was like, man, 1999 America to 2021 America is unrecognizable. Um, and to me, that's, that's how you know Osama bin Laden won. I mean, he bankrupted us, uh, the Taliban's back in power. Like, how did he not win? I, I don't understand how anyone could view this as anything other than the most egregious loss in military history for this country. I mean, it's really bad. And look at the COVID connection. Of course, they will pin it on, you know, p people like us or, you know, anyone saying that we never should have gone or we should have negotiated with the Taliban and Bush should have accepted their offer. As he mentions in the Afghanistan chapter of decision points, he says, 
yeah, we gave him an offer, but we had no intention of accepting it. Uh, it was mainly just to uh, increase public support behind our uh, it, it, uh, our invasion because they yep. denied uh, Mullah Omar handing over bin Laden. So what they do is, you know, that they create a disaster and then blame the people who, you know, said we shouldn't have gone in in the first place. Well, isn't that exactly like our article here where they say, well, uh, we need to lock down and then the lockdowns don't work. And then they blame everyone else or they say, well, we need a vaccine. And then they get the vaccine, which does not have the effect they thought it would. So they blame people questioning the vaccine. Yeah. I mean, they, they will never admit they're wrong. So to give them any leeway, you can't give them what Tyler Cowen and Al Alex Tabarrok do, so-called libertarians, the Cato world, of, well, let's give it a shot and see if it works. But they've already had the foregone conclusion. The best evidence is in paragraph two. Uh, Kana says, but if and when COVID-19 is finally eradicated, we'll have these technocrats to thank. So he's already thanking them before it happens. How does he know it's not going to be a, you know, diverse group of people in the middle of nowhere who come up with, uh, you know, who come up with some solution? I don't know. Long story short, he's already saying that I'm already thanking those in power. I have no clue how this is going to end, not to mention that this was created in, <laughs> in a lab in Wuhan. There you um, go. Any thoughts on that? Well, a ton of thoughts. I mean, back to your first point, this is the exact same argument with funding for public school. It, yeah. No matter what the outcome, it's just, we didn't have enough money. If you gave them all the money in the world and the results were shit, they'd be, well, it's just because we didn't have enough money. And this is the same thing with Afghanistan now. Well, it's been 20 years, but if it had been 25, you don't know. You don't know that it might've been great. I mean, we might've created the next Japan. Um, so it's a, you know, unfalsifi unfalsifiable uh, assertion, essentially. It's like, yeah, I mean, you can make that claim, but we gave you motherfuckers 20 years and you didn't accomplish anything. So I'm going to err on the side of you being wrong and me being right. Um, and as Scott Horton has said, you know, even if you believe that we should have invaded, we should have been out by December of 01. I mean, it should have been over by then because if they were willing to hand over Bin Laden, you're done. Um, so on all counts, on all fronts, what they claimed to be doing with that war was a lie. And I think that what they claim to be doing with the lockdowns is also a lie. I don't think it has to do with COVID. And I know it gets into Alex Jones, woo woo, World Economic Forum conspiracy land, but I believe that. I believe that there's no justifiable reason for them to be doing a global ro rollout of what I consider totalitarianism. I mean, they are treating us globally as slaves. They are talking about not allowing us to leave our, our states, our countries, our homes. I mean, it is absolute madness. And they have somehow manipulated the public into believing, at least half of the people, it seems, that this is good, that this is how we should be responding to a virus that is relatively benign. Sorry, I went off on a total tangent there, but... Well, I, I think you're, uh, you're totally right. Of course, uh, this was uh, the ultimate uh, you know, excuse for them to do everything that they've wanted to do anyways. Um, yeah, I, I looked into uh, the situation. Long story short, my organization gets a ton of money and a ton of power. 
Oh, well, uh, I'm sure that's the conclusion you came to. How, how convenient. The yeah. same people who since, you know, what, the First World War, the Spanish-American War, uh, have, have uh, the, the same progressive mindset or neocon mindset, whatever, uh, even on the right, uh, it's some people wanting to control others. I mean, to be totally honest, even if you gave the kindest person this amount of power, it would literally be like the ring in Lord of the Rings, where the nicest person would be like, Oh my God. Like if I got this amount of power tomorrow, I'm like, all right, I can finally shut down secular talk and I can take down the young Turks and MSNBC. Oh, this is going to be great. You guys would never hear from me again. I'd be in tyrannyville. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, it, it's so uh, difficult. And, and uh, one other note, you know, his, his assertion that we're going to thank the technocrats at the end of this, I am still pretty pretty staunchly of the belief that we would be in this position, if not in a better position, without lockdowns, without the vaccine rollout, without anything. If the government, I still believe this. I believed it 45 days in. I believe it to this day. Had we had the government do nothing, we would be in a better position now. I think that there's a high probability that we don't have the Delta variant, that we don't have the next variant if we're not vaccinating. Um, there's, there's a lot of evidence that that's actually what's transpiring. And then you also have the lockdowns, which reduce people's uh, immune response. You have the fact that they're not getting enough sun, so they don't have enough vitamin D. There, I mean, there are so many layers to this, and there's so many factors that it's, I can't, I can't prove it. I mean, the, there's so much manipulation. I can't know, but I know as well as he does as to what's going to, who's going to be responsible for us prevailing over COVID as if we are ever going to prevail. My personal opinion is going to be endemic. We're going to have COVID with us for the rest of our fucking human existence. So. Do you remember when this first came out and it was like AOC, Donald Trump, even Gordon Ramsay was saying, in order to fight this, what you need to do is wash your hands, keep your hands clean. Don't touch your eyes, nose, and mouth. That's where the virus gets in. Yep. And then they have completely dropped that. The science yeah. is both objectively clear and it also changes all the time. Yeah. And of course, Fauci was on 60 Minutes saying you don't need masks and you don't get to say, well, he looked into it and using the scientific method changed his professional opinion. Well, he never apologized for getting it wrong. If he was really sorry and it was some terrible accident, oy vey, I, uh, I told him the wrong thing. I got to go change. Uh, guys, I got to clarify. I got to step down. I got to resign. We got to fire people for getting this so wrong. It's so important. Um, they really didn't care. The Surgeon General was tweeting out, uh, people stop buying masks that are pretty much a waste. The uh, World Health Organization was saying, Chinese officials have looked into it virus doesn't go from person to person. It's sort of like shingles. Some people have the virus in them. It's not contagious. Cancer's not contagious uh, that way. So uh, yeah, I think the lack of apologies are probably the best indicator that it's not a difference of a worldview. It's some people trying to control others. Well, that, and it's also, I mean, it's just, it's just such incredible hubris. Like when they talk about the updated science, they will acknowledge the science changes. You know, the, anytime they get caught up in that, well, the science evolves, the science changed. You can't blame me. But then I'm going to speak with the same exact level of, uh, you know, authority as I did six months ago when I told you the exact opposite thing. And you're supposed to trust me. And you, and you, and if you question me, you're a science denying asshole. You know, it's like, it's so frustrating. <laughs> it's like, how do you not know? I was just watching you say the opposite thing. Not, uh, not too long ago, 14 days to flatten yep. the curve. It's like, 
when Peter Griffin tries to keep getting free samples, so he puts on a mustache, <laughs> then he puts on glasses. You're not fooling anyone. You're the same you, asshole Peter. screwing us. It, it, nothing has changed. Page two, rising geopolitical tensions. Even the first three words of that sentence, <laughs> rising geopolitical so, so things are extremely complex there's so much tension that no oh, clint you, you're just too dumb we need the technocrats <laughs> to take over <laughs> they try to get you in this the world is so complex no the world is complex and that's why having technocrats with so much power is the worst approach to the complexities of the world that uh, we live in Great three words <laughs> and uh, and there's still all this rising geopolitical tensions the governance of frontier technologies like artificial intelligence and climate change are other existential issues where global cooperation at the moment can best be described as kicking the can down the road. But crisis management is not the same as problem solving. That requires a strong global application of the precautionary principle, as well as the provocative steering of large-scale resources to solutions. If you want a better world for your children, don't hold your breath for global democratic deliberation. Response to that paragraph. Well, first off, the, the assertion that we need uh, global governance response to AI and all these new technologies, I think is horrifying. I was actually talking to my friend last night about this and, and I, you know, she was like, you know, artificial, artificial intelligence is really scary. And I was like, I, I'll grant you that. I think it is scary. And she's like, and the government doesn't even have any regulations for it. I was like, do you think if they were to roll out regulations for AI, that it wouldn't be written by Google and Facebook and Apple and everybody that has a financial interest in it? And right away, she was like, yeah, it would. I was like, okay, so the regulations are worthless. I mean, ultimately, it's going to come down to abolishing the government and then us having some sort of cultural agreement as to what what level of AI becomes too dangerous for you know humanity's existence? Uh, sorry, I got I got sidetracked. But uh, what? Any other so, notes so, you had on that one? So let's just let's just take this. He mentions uh, all in one in order to gish gallop us. He says geopolitical tensions, so foreign policy, artificial intelligence, climate state, climate change, other existential issues getting into existentialism, the philosophy of existence. Uh, <laughs> he throws everything in there to make you feel dumb and insecure and to right. hand, uh, the, so you're much more likely to say, oh, let, uh, let the wiser people figure this out. See, the great thing about volunteerism is if you're extremely insecure about your money, you can delegate your rights to an accountant. I don't think I'm good with engineering, so I buy a computer and a microphone and a, a cell phone instead of making one myself. That's me delegating expertise to people who know far more than me. No yep. one's saying, no, he even says, uh, where global cooperation at the moment can best be described as kicking the can down the road. So even uh, global voluntary cooperation, he's just calling it kicking the can down the road. He advocates large-scale resources to solutions. Don't hold your breath for democratic deliberation. So he was saying he was saying that global voluntary cooperation was kicking the can down the road. Is that implying that that it has to not be voluntary? Uh, you know, he says where global cooperation at the moment can best be described as kicking the can down. So that's not going to work. We can't just cooperate. So even so, it used to be we need to do this together. That was code for the state getting involved. He now is uh, like completely throwing cooperation uh, out uh, the the window altogether. This is this is exactly what uh, De Blasio said this morning. 
he's like, he's like, we people respond best when we have carrots and we have sticks. We've tried the carrots. And he doesn't say, now it's time for the stick, but you know what the implication is there. This sounds like that to me. It sounds like the same claim that like, well, we tried telling you plebs what to do and how to survive this. You didn't fucking listen. So now we have to force it into your body or you can't live a life of freedom ever again. It's like, well, that's a declaration of war, friend. If that's, if that's the path you want to take, you are declaring war on me. Whether I want the vaccine or not, I'm never going to tell you if I've taken it because it's none of your fucking business and I will continue to live as a free person for the rest of my life. And if you infringe upon that, you are aggressing upon me and I will respond in kind. That's, that's how I perceive all of this. And anybody, like all the libertarians that are getting into this like private property, uh, you know, they have the right to disassociate, all this shit. I'm like, I'm not having any of it. It's a fucking declaration of war. You know what it is. If they, it's, it's obviously being dictated to them via political pressure. Biden and Cuomo and all these other assholes have come out and recommended strongly that private businesses mandate vaccination. It's like, well, what do you think that is? Is that not an alliance between big business and big government? Do you, there's a word for it. You okay with it? Like, cause I'm pretty sure I'm not. I don't know. Am I, am I overstating it? What do you think? Not at all. I, I love your response to whether I get it or not, I'm never going to tell you because that deprives them of what they're really after, which is just wanting to control other people. I mean, this is that since the pharaohs of Egypt, we've been fighting the battle of the information war of some people against others so they could violently dominate them uh, either directly or indirectly. Mm -hmm. That's that's the ancient war uh, between, uh, you know, uh, human beings. He goes on to say there are numerous examples of the 20th century interventions designed to prevent worst case scenarios. You know what's coming. This is the best because the uh, g most common justification for current state intervention is past state intervention. They never justify it at the moment. They just do a thing, take over, you know, large portions of the economy in the first world war. So next time there's a depression, they say, well, come on, Kaiser Wilhelm was hardly a threat to us. Everyone knew that at the time. No, you lied about it then. <coughs> uh, so if we do that for Kaiser Wilhelm, well, certainly the depression, now we need to confiscate the nation's gold and intern a bunch of Japanese people. Yep. Every no, time, I know. And, every time. And, 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 and World War II is always viewed as such a positive. And FDR is so deified, like he was not one of the worst tyrants that's ever ruled over this country. It's, it's astonishing how they can uh, rewrite history. And that is the power of myth and narrative, how they can just create heroes. And then it, it, good, uh, we'll call you FDR. Bad, we'll call you Hitler. And now we've pretty much decided everything that there is to. He even, exactly. he even says, in the latter years of World War II, then U.S. President Franklin Roosevelt conceived of the four policemen to restrain military rearmament, a coalition that became embedded in the United Nations Security Council. So in other words, if you thought going into the Second World War was good, then technocrats should rule over us during COVID. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is just such a, like, such a leap. It's what, 75 years ago or something? And oh my God. And different it's a world people, war. It's not a, fucking, it's not a, it's a, I mean, there's a massive genocide going on. And for the record, I don't think it happens without World War I. I don't think we should have been involved regardless, but it's a totally different thing. So, no, uh, the answer to your assertion that you, that I should now listen to technocrats is no. And they never even consider the costs to COVID oh, no. or the world wars. They're like, all right, the war that Britain declared on Germany because they violated Polish independence 
ended with 60 million dead, millions enslaved, millions homeless, and giving Poland to Stalin, along with 11 other countries. Okay, can we not say that it's a cut and dry case? Can we say that there's both pros and cons? But that's the great lie. Healthcare free, education free, war <laughs> keeps us safe. COVID vaccine stops the spread. It's all these no cost solutions that uh, they're able to fake us out with. It's actually a time preference argument because it's like, if you, if you want the best outcome in the short term, you can justify a lot of statism. You can justify money printing. You can justify all sorts of malfeasance and terrible uh, management of, of a nation. But if you want the best for the long term, individualism, you know, fiscal sanity, small government, those are the things that actually get us uh, you know, the brightest tomorrow. But that's not how politicians live. Politicians live for that, that election tomorrow. They don't live for the election 10 years from now. Um, and I think that that's a fatal flaw in democracy. Excellent point. What I love about this next paragraph is their ability to admit the Alex Joneses of the world were right and then still dismiss them. <laughs> Similar approaches have characterized the U.S. and U.N. response to major demographic risks in the 1970s. Okay, y you see, Clint, there's risks to the real world and risks are bad. Unlike <laughs> handing tons of control over to government. <laughs> no risk there. No, no, it's it's not like bad. government's ever, ever happened. <laughs> See, Clint, your dumb worldview has downsides and risks. Ours doesn't. <laughs> well, theirs does, but the, the risk is in not having the government in complete control. That's the only risk that they see. <laughs> I know, it's terrible. In the 1970s, fearing the security, they just want us to be secure. Fearing the security implications of a rapidly grow growing world population, the Ford administration began significant support for population planning policies, such as the mass distribution of contraception across the developing world. That represented a turning point in global fertility, contributing to the present plateau of the world population at almost 8 billion people, rather than 15 billion people feared at the time. More fake numbers. The long story is, uh, there was a population control plan under Ford, written by Kissinger, titled National State Security Memorandum 200. So they admit population control exists, and they want to put something inside of us that we have no clue what it is. Can you see why some of us are a little skeptical? Not, not saying I know for a fact it's evil, but can you see why some of us are skeptical? What do you think <laughs> about this uh, concept of, well, comment on anything, but oh, the yeah. idea that they'll, they'll be like, well, Population control is a fake conspiracy theory. All right, it exists, but it's for the greater good. What a great trick. Well, I mean, that's what they do with most, most of the conspiracy theories that we have them <laughs> dead to rights on. They will, they will deny it to the end of the earth. And then as soon as you, as soon as you actually like present the evidence, like, well, what about this CIA report from 50 years ago? And they'll be like, yeah, but it's good. I mean, aren't eugenics good, Keith? <laughs> you know, like, I personally, I don't think so. I don't think, do you think that the China you know, one child policy is a good thing. Do you think that's moral? Uh, and, but I think that many of these people, if they, you know, if they had their druthers, they would like to have that for the entire world. They see no issues with, with the top down technocratic totalitarianism. Yeah. I mean, even with the, um, uh, as far as uh, going back to 2001, you know, the, the Alex Jones of the world were saying, well, uh, the 
for, uh, the Carter and Reagan administration helped the Mujahideen in the 70s to fight the Soviets, a lot of those Afghani fighters we could call Al-Qaeda. And then today in 2012, it's like uh, they, Jake Sullivan's like, yep, uh, the, the way we're fighting Assad is we're siding with Al-Qaeda in Syria. We're siding with Al-Qaeda in Yemen. We're siding with Al-Qaeda in Libya against Gaddafi. So like the, the most bizarre thing ever that you could have said in 2001 is the CIA is teaming up with the people they're waging war against. And now it's like, well, of course we do that. We got to fight Assad. Assad gassed his own people, for God's sakes. And simultaneously, at the exact same moment, they will talk about how we have to go back into Afghanistan because we can't have a place for Al-Qaeda to, you know, regrow their terrorist boot camps. You know, it's like, it's just, it's just, oh, the, the immediate dissonance that it gives me, it just makes me want to jump through the screen. COVID-19 is a fine example. Risk philosopher Nassim Nicholas Tlaib and his collaborators, complexity theorists. A, a feminist dance theory is the joke that we use to, you know, <laughs> to say these people's fake titles. Risk philosopher and complexity theorists. Those are worse than what we make up to mock them. <laughs> Ganir Baryam and Joseph Norman issued at prescient early warnings in January of 2020, arguing in favor of the precautionary principle owing to the interconnectedness of global epidemiological, social, and economic systems. So, uh, Clint, um, technocracy is justified. This is referred to as scientific dictatorship. Rule by the experts is justified so we can take precautions against terrible things. How do you respond? Well, it's not justified, and it's, it's approvably just damned path to take what what frustrates me most most about technocracy is that like if you take any person who's been a political figure a leader over the past 20 years and you were to just evaluate like what were they saying was going to happen what were they advocating for what did it lead to i don't think you can, can can conclude anything other than ron paul would be the greatest technocratic leader we could hope for He's gotten more things right. He's warned about more things. Afghanistan, the real estate collapse to, uh, you know, infinite printing, the Federal Reserve, uh, endless war, CIA spying, NSA, TSA, all of it never going away. He has been right about all of this, but yet they don't, they don't appreciate track record. Like if you're going to believe in technocracy at, at, at a minimum, you have to believe in following people's track record of results and they don't. And that's what makes me really hate them more than even you know, believing in technocracy is being bad at it. You're just fucking bad at it too. <laughs> You're not even good. You didn't even, you, you, you didn't even think there'd be a downside to uh, overthrowing Saddam uh, right. in your war against Al-Qaeda that gave Iraq to Al-Qaeda. Right. Uh, I mean, uh, under uh, no circumstance. And then, you know, of course, inflation is the great one that we say, uh, because so many libertarians are Austrian, uh, economist sympathizers, we say, yeah, well, an increase in the money supply is going to increase prices more than they otherwise would be. And then CNN has the nerve to say, uh, of course, they deny inflation as Biden does uh, to Don Lemon. And then CNN comes out and says, expect higher food prices to stay because of extreme weather. So now they admit that, uh, yes, the prices are rising, but it's back to the climate change. It's like playing statist whack-a-mole. Every time we take one down, we yeah, uh, what we gotta hit another one. Do you have any techniques for uh, assisting people so they don't fall for the next uh, scam? 
Uh, other than to listening to people like you and I, um, <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, I think it's just, it's just important to realize that the media, the politicians, Hollywood, everyone is lying to you. So if you're going to rely on someone to give you information, you're making a mistake. It's going to require you to not believe the initial news reports on basically everything that hits your, your computer, your inbox, whatever. And it's going to require a little bit of patience, a little bit of diligence, a little bit of um, you know self-starting research. If you if it sounds uh, propaganda e, I mean, after this past year and a half, if you don't know what I'm talking about when I when I say it, does it sound like propaganda? Just think about it. I mean, like, does it sound like it? Because we have been propagandized aggressively for a year and a half. So I think that that's the key. Is like any any good libertarian is now at the point of like, I don't trust anybody. Like I'm going to do follow-up research before I start to run with some narrative. Or even just uh, g giving them the insecurity of, do you see why people, uh, why kids who went to Mormon school for 12 years are really sympathetic to the Mormon church? Okay, how about the Catholic church, kids who went to there? Okay, so when the state uh, has a monopoly on compulsory education for like, what, 80, 90% of the citizenry, can you see why a lot of them are such suckers for giving the state more power? Like even before we ever talk about whether the sinking of the main was really done by the Spanish or whether the vaccine is reliable, can we just agree that you have a big bias Toward the like, you shouldn't be the judge when your mother is on trial. You have such a bias; it's impossible for you to be fair. Can we just start there? Uh, yeah. do, do you have any other uh, techniques of increasing their skepticism or insecurity about you know trusting the technocrats or the state? I mean, go read enough already by Scott Horton. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you want to see all of the wars that have led to all of the next wars and and how they were almost all predicated on lies and. I mean, they were all predicated on lies, but more to some extent than the others. Um, I just think it's really important that people realize it's not, it's not novel for the government to lie to us. It is the norm. It's, it's unusual for them to tell us the truth. So I just would drive that point home. Like you need to be skeptical to your core. You, like any, any message you receive that, that demands an immediate response from you, and, and that response, the, the requested response is to give the government more power. You need to be very cautious every single time. If that's like global warming, uh, terrorism, COVID lockdowns, anti-vaxxers, anytime they, the response to that is give us more power, we can fix it. They're lying to you. At least start from that, <laughs> from that position and then work your way through. How did you explain to the average person uh, the difference between government, the state, and just a regular organization? Uh, normally, it's just the monopoly on violence. You know, if it's, if it's government or the state, it, they have a monopoly on violence. If it's a private organization, they don't. Um, normally, they're held responsible by the government. So if they were to commit violence, they would be, you know, theoretically in prison, except for in America, where you now have this unholy alliance of private business and, and, uh, and the state. Um, so I don't know. Is there, how, how else would you uh, delineate? Well, I, I love the second part about how usually we would hold people accountable on principle, but if they ally with the state, well, then again, we can see that there's a principle difference. It's not just private, good, public, bad. No, it's yeah. people 
who engage in this initiating aggression against peaceful people. That's yeah, sure. the principal difference. And I, I just want to, of course, you know, this is at the back of all of our minds whenever we're having this discussion, but I just, I'm really trying to think of a quick, uh, clever way to describe it to the average uh, statist or who has no conception of what the state is. Government, they define as uh, the people who help us cooperate. That's like, that's quite literally their, uh, the, their definition. So, so when it comes to, let, let's just take this line from the article. It's time for big decisions and strong management, whether a sovereign debt resolution framework or a new green revolution. So embedded in that is always some people are going to have the right to uh, rule and others are going to have the right to obey. So uh, that's why I'm so obsessed with this libertarian principle. And always, before we talk about all the details, do you know why I'm against this group called the government group? Like why I pick on them out of all the organizations? And and of course, uh, just, just like you were saying, it's not enough to say private good when they're the explicit co-conspirators. Mm-hmm. When he says something like uh, time for sovereign debt resolution framework or a new green revolution. Uh, When it comes to the environment, this is something where it's completely complex and so out of the ordinary. So some people are so likely to say, it's so complex, I'm just going to let the experts decide for me. How do you respond to to that mindset? Well, I mean, other than to point out that the government's the biggest polluter on earth, uh, U.S. military in particular, um, I would say, why would you rely on the biggest polluters to be responsible for remedying it? And then I would point out the you know, incredible innovations that we have in, in a free market economy and, and the fact that we are far more likely to come up with solutions via unshackling the economy and allowing people to actually go out and innovate. If, if global warming, if you believe in your soul that it's the biggest risk to humanity, wouldn't you rather leave the money in the entrepreneur's hands to go out and try and get richer than you know, God by fixing it? Um, that's, that's my belief as to how it will ultimately be solved is that someone will come up with carbon capture or something or, or some new, uh, you know, salt water into electricity, something, some new technology that, that allows us to stop producing carbon in mass. Um, and then it'll be resolved. So uh, the, I, I just try and like, basically, ar- I just take an efficacy argument where it's like, the government isn't efficacious. Like, what has the government fucking done that they promised you? What have they succeeded at? anything? Can you tell me something? And then uh, from there, I kind of work backwards. Yeah, well, and even now with a lot of their things where they say, well, uh, you know, if any organization gets trillions of dollars every year, they're going to do some good with it by definition. I mean, even if they lit it all on fire, it would increase the value of everyone else's money by, you know, leading to <laughs> deflation. I and mean, we can it, warm our hands on it. So. <laughs> exactly. So that there's, so there's always going to be something good. So it's not enough to say government did something good. Catholic church does good stuff. The Koch brothers do good things. Right. Does that give them the right to rule the rest but of see, us with the threat that, of caging us? If you go that route though, then you have to get into explaining opportunity costs. And I feel like for a lot of people, that's just, that's a little bit too nebulous. That is, that is rough, uh, unfortunately. It's great that we have, you know, embraced the most vitally important regulation or check and balance, which is the freedom to disassociate with bad actors. So we're constantly told, well, you know, uh, there's so many bad people out there that we need a state to really crack on uh, things. Well, 
all of those criticisms apply tenfold to the state if you can't opt out of uh, associating with them. And then they want to give Big Pharma more power than, I don't know, anyone has ever had the ability to have the state and the media team up with you with, you know, professors to get people injected with something. I mean, that is literal 1984. And now they don't want us to be able to disassociate from those businesses because they want a monopoly on it. They want all airlines to do it. They want all, you know, international travel to be um, basically forced to be vax only. And it's like, all I'm asking for is the capacity for alternatives. So I don't have to do what you're demanding of me. If you don't give me an, an alternative, if there isn't an industry option, that allows me to continue to do to live my life. You are coercing me. You are forcing me to either cooperate or defend myself. Um, and I'm at the point of defending myself. I mean, that's really where I'm at with this thing because you cannot you cannot continue to treat me like a second class citizen. I mean, they they are overtly pushing for apartheid. I, that's how I feel about it. Like they want to have two classes of civilization and they want it to be permanent. And I, it's just astonishing to me that people aren't at their core disturbed by that. Even if you're horrified of COVID and you're, you're super pro-vaccine, how are you not looking at this and going, I've seen this before. I know what this is. I know where this goes. I know that I don't want this. It's amazing. Final quote that we will uh, address here. If you want a better world for your children, don't hold your breath for global democratic deliberation. What, now, uh, I chose this because it's one of the, um, you know, uh, b- bolded quotes on the side. So they really want to catch your, your eye with this. What do you see is the uh, propaganda technique in that sentence? If you want a better world for your children, don't hold your breath for global democratic deliberation. I mean, it seems to me that they are, I mean, that they're, they're pretty clearly stating that they want a global government because if you don't want democratic deliberation you want a technocracy that presides above all of global government as an aggregate right is that not am i reading it properly that's what that's what i'm getting but i'm quite biased (laughs) so i like to delegate every now and then but uh of course uh, invoking the children of course and and the assertion that that it's going to make it better for the children i mean which is nonsense (laughs) oh yeah that that, that's the brilliant one so it's going to be better obviously let's move past that don't hold your breath for democratic (laughs) uh deliberation so yeah they will throw democracy under the bus the the ultimate justification for the state it's democratic. It's not like, you know, selfish places like the Mises Institute that's, you know, private and evil. Government, we're all in this together. We all vote. This is, this is who really represents us. They're so quick to throw democracy out the window when, it's, when it's the biggest hurdle uh, for them. Yeah. Any other big takeaways from the article? I mean, other than the fact that they're kind of lifting the veil. I mean, that, that is to me, the biggest deal. And it, this is actually what happened, if you recall that, that big, I think it was a time piece that came out after the election about fortifying the election. Mm-hmm. This, this feels the same way to me. It's a lifting of the veil. It's like everything that Alex Jones and the more fringe people have been talking about for decades, they're getting more comfortable with being open about it. And I don't know why that is, honestly, because I, I mean, I, I, think it's, I think it's overconfidence. I hope it's overconfidence. I hope I'm not the overconfident one. In our, in our capacity to, to defend against these types of things. But it seems to me that the, the more technocratic, dictator-like people on earth are feeling much more brazen. They're much more willing to just 
We're just going to tell you how it is. Yeah. You're, you're too dumb and we're smart and you should listen to us. And that's, that's now what we're doing. Instead of pretending that they are our representatives and that we vote them into power and that we're the same, but they're just, they're the, they're our servants. It's like none of that, like the, the fucking, the petals are off the rose. Like they're just telling you how it is now. So we've come to the very sad moment where we have to understand their techniques and maybe a percentage of us should adopt them if this is the game we have to play. Right. While always making sure we have these sound arguments uh, doesn't mean we always have to use them all the time. Like if, it, like if you had to do hopscotch to get someone to take money uh, or, or medicine to save their life because they weren't listening to the rationale, well, sometimes you just got to do that. So mm. let's go through, we got a few minutes left, four propaganda techniques and give me an idea of how you would use this same technique, but for our side. Mm. Number one, activate strong emotions. The status might do something like show you this person's dying. They're on a ventilator. The, look at all this death from COVID. We therefore need mandates and UBI and everything else. How can you use activating strong emotions to promote the self-ownership and freedom principle? Uh I would probably play the same dirty game and, and show them, you know, the increase in, um, I mean, they, they probably wouldn't buy graphs, but if I could sh actually show them evidence of children that have killed themselves during lockdown, for instance, um, the, uh, the incredible increase in the rate of therapy for self-harm and suicidal thought amongst children over the past 18 months. If, that, if that's not enough to reach their heart, they're probably just sociopaths. Or just seeing the footage of the cops in Australia. It's like so inexcusable sometimes. Yeah. Um, uh, number two, simplify. I was going to go on, but we, we're running uh, short here. Sure. Number two, simplify information and ideas. Successful propaganda tells simple stories that are familiar and trusted, often using metaphors, imaginary, repetition, and short phrases to make them seem true and to substitute critical thinking. How can freedom advocates simplify information and ideas? That's a really hard one because many of our ideas are complex. Um, so I think that's why a tagline like end the Fed was so good. You know, it's three, three letter words, just bang, bang, bang. Um, so yeah, that's, I don't know that I could come up with one better on the fly, to be honest. You got anything? Ron Paul gave me a great one when he was on my show. He said, if you can't do it, the government can't do it. In other words, what are they, gods on earth? I mean, right. that's just, that, that's, that was just so nice and quick that mm -hmm. it automatically gets you holding the state to the same principles you'd hold you other know, people I to. I think the problem with that is that a lot of people struggle with believing that, they, that the people that rule over them are just as fallible. I think people really struggle with that. And I think that that's something that as I've become very financially successful and I've interacted with very powerful, wealthy people, you realize like, they're not actually better than us. I mean, yeah. they just, they just have a little bit different skill set. They have, you know, a lot of it's nepotism, a lot of it's uh, connections and ties and it's politics. And it's like, ultimately you need to save yourself. Um, I don't know. That's a quick one. Maybe we could use that. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a great one. Or even just, the, I mean, <clears throat> I get that it's a little bit of a switch to say, well, how many of them saw the Afghanistan debacle happening? This was one of the longest, you know, if you count CIA going into Vietnam in the 50s to help the French, of course. But, I mean, the longest war, one of the biggest, most vital things 
none of them got right. Virtually none of them were right about it. And why doesn't that make you question the expert class a little bit? I mean, j just throwing one of uh, one of those examples. Sure. Number three, respond to needs and values. Creating effective propaganda that appeals directly to the needs, hopes, and fears of specific groups makes it personal and relevant, and which also makes people pay attention and absorb information. Any ideas on how we can respond to the needs and values? I mean, I just try and reframe it so that people kind of reevaluate what their principles are. I think a lot of people have focused on safety over the past 18 months. And I think ultimately, at their core, most Americans still do value freedom, but far too many of them value security over freedom. Um, so I think, I think getting people to reflect on how much they've sacrificed through these lockdowns and how much they've missed out on the fact that their kids are now, you know, drug addicts because they, <laughs> they couldn't go to their senior year of high school and shit like that. Like, um, try and get them to reflect on how much they've lost by allowing to give up their rights, allowing to give up their freedom and ask them if they want to retain that. Do you, do you enjoy life more in 2021 than you did in 2012, you know, or whatever. Um, and I think most people would say, yeah, this sucks. Um, and then argue from there. Yeah. And even it's not, it's not, uh, even the freedom versus security, uh, you know, uh, well, uh, cost benefit analysis, you can get security on the free market. You have alarm systems, you have medicines, you have preventative care, you have, uh, you know, Zoom instead of going to a meeting if you're really that scared. The security is so fake that even with all the measures, uh, it's as though they've done nothing at all. It's not, it, they're not like, thanks so much for letting us push this agenda through. I want to thank the taxpayers for all the trillions they're now on the hook for. Uh, I, I really thought this was going to work. Uh, I can't believe we still have COVID cases. This was supposed to be 14 days. Um, of course, it's, it's fake security. It, right. it, it leaves you less secure. Finally, attack opponents. Attacking opponents creates an us versus them mentality, which suppresses the consideration of more complex information and ideas. People are naturally attracted to conflict, which can serve as a form of political warfare to discredit people or groups. Clint, any ideas on how we can use the attacking opponents propaganda method uh, in the freedom movement? Oh, man. Uh, you must not have seen the opener to my episode yesterday because I do it. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually am pretty good at this. This is probably what I'm best at. And I know that's not a good thing. It's probably a character flaw, but I, because I'm good at it, I'll explain exactly what I do. When I see an ally in particular, I go harder on them than I do a statist or an opponent. If they have, a, if they have an idea that I find truly reprehensible, like in this case, I'm talking about the, the libertarians that have ran cover for what I believe is fascism, vaccine mandates. Uh, these, these people, I have been tearing to shreds over the past 48 hours. And it's not, I don't normally like to do this. I don't normally like to go after allies, but I feel like when you need to galvanize a movement on an issue, and I don't think there's, I'm, I'm not sure that there has been a bigger issue in my life than, than uh, vaccine mandates. Like it is such a fucking big deal. Yeah. And if, if libertarians are going to, you know, get all pedantic and, argue about philosophy and well, what, I mean, if it wasn't like this, wouldn't you believe that a business has a right to disassociate? And it's like, dude, that's not what this is. So get out of your fucking philosophy textbooks 
and get, get in reality. We are in the fight. There's no, there's no time to be arguing about philosophy right now. We need to fight against what's happening in front of us. And it's like a lot of people struggle with that. So I very much use, um, you know, demonizing your opponent in that, in that regard. I, I got a lot of people to go out and shame a lot of probably really good libertarians otherwise. And I did it knowingly because I believe this issue is so important that I have to get people to get in line. And I know that sounds fucked up, but that's really how I felt about it. I totally agree. Yeah. And you can even philosophize, just do it better and recognize, oh, yeah, do it better then. <laughs> and, and recognize that these are co-conspirators to the regime. So it's right. not that, well, Pfizer and Moderna are private and the airlines are private. They get uh, billions of dollars in bailouts and then uh, afterwards are saying the same thing the state is. That is a co-conspirator. That's like, uh, you know, uh, the, the ultimate, uh, uh, but well, uh, I wasn't the one doing uh, the, the crime. I'm just uh, the mob boss. Uh, I, I just give orders. They're really the ones doing it. Well, no, you are a co-conspirator in uh, th this organization that's leading to this ultimate end. Sometimes they're even more influential. Uh, but you look at the us versus them tactics of Occupy Wall Street, 99% uh, versus 1%. George Bush, you're either with us or you're with the terrorists, Nixon, to get people off the gold standard. Uh, we're doing this to fight Wall Street speculators, and uh, we're only uh, leaving the gold standard temporarily. I think we need to just embrace it. Look, there's two ways to achieve your ends in life. There's violence and voluntarism, and anyone who engages in violence or sides with the people and becomes a co-conspirator the media, the press, the professors, universities, Hollywood, well, then you're evil. And you're, that is a true divide. It's not rich versus poor, black versus white, man versus woman. That's yeah, incredible that they've gotten the man versus woman and black versus white uh, oh, divide when, when there's a state. Uh, any thoughts on that being the division or any final thoughts on propaganda? No, I think uh, voluntarism versus violence is, is a good, good uh, dividing line because this is why I treated our allies so poorly because they weren't behaving as allies. They run, they were behaving as useful idiots for fascistic interests. And it's like, look, you're probably a great person otherwise, but you are fucking my shit up right now. And I can't have it. Like, I'm sorry to be profane, but like you cannot get this topic wrong. And but what I mean by getting out of philosophy is like, of course you should still apply our philosophy. That's what we do all the time. It's, it's embedded in us. But you shouldn't be having arguments about things that aren't happening right now. That's what I'm saying. Like, if, if you want to argue of like, well, shouldn't a business be allowed to turn someone away? Like, don't you, aren't you opposed to the Civil Rights Act? Don't you think that businesses should have a right to do that? It's like, well, my argument that I made to them was, what if in the, in the same moment that these businesses were considering banning all minorities to go to their, uh, their restaurants, the president of the United States and a governor and a bunch of governors and all of the news media came out simultaneously and they said, we want to encourage private businesses to make it so that no minorities can eat at restaurants in this country. Would you advocate for that? Or would you see that as obvious fucked up collusion between government, which is basically circumventing the constitution to implement really um, unliberty oriented policymaking. And I think when you frame it like that, especially for the more woke libertarians out there, they start to grasp it a little bit. 
Uh, Clint, you've got a lot of episodes of your excellent show. It, it seems like drinking out of a fire hose if someone just goes there and is searching through everything. If they wanted a good, solid introduction to Liberty Lockdown, what is an episode they should start with? Man, uh, I would say 106, 107. My, my most recent ones, uh, I think that those are probably the most passionate. Actually, 105, 106. 105 and 106 are, are solo episodes. So if you want to see the full fire of me um that'll be it and then episode 107 i had spike cohen on so that'll be a good uh, foray into my more interview styled shows episodes to uh links to episodes 105 106 and 107 will be in the description below thanks to everyone for watching keith and i don't tread on anyone and the libertarian institute clint brother thank you so much for your time i'm a huge fan keith thank you for having me if anybody wants to follow me go to at liberty lockpot on twitter thank you guys thank you again